This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Are you listening? Damn. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Damn Podcast. I am your host, Angie Machado. Joined with me, as always, is Beaver Blitz beat writer down in Corvallis, Jake Hedberg. Jake, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Angie, what about yourself? I am good. It's sunny in uh, in Portland. Um, I just returned late last night from a trip down to Arizona. Uh, so we are going to talk a little bit about that game down in the desert. I was there live. You were watching um, on TV. Not the way Oregon State fans were hoping it would turn out, but we are going to talk about that loss to Arizona. We are going to look at the Pac-12 kind of as a whole where everyone sits here with the last, what, third of the season left to go. We're going to preview Colorado um, and kind of give you guys some nuts and bolts and who you should should watch for and what Oregon State needs to do uh, to right the ship. And then we're going to take some viewer uh, questions. So if you have a question and you're watching us live, make sure to put that in the comments. Um, otherwise, we'll be pulling questions from beaverblitz.com in the lodge. So, Jake, let's just jump right in because there's a lot to talk about in yeah. that Arizona loss. Lots of discussion, play calls, time man- or clock management, DJU. Um, you know, let's talk offense first. I think that's probably the, the best place to start. DJU did not have his most efficient game, but, uh, you know, give me your thoughts on, on the performance as a whole. Yeah, you know, I really I thought the offense they tried to push the ball downfield a whole lot more vertically. Where the last couple of weeks, more of DJ's success had come had come from the you know ten to fifteen yard out routes where Silas Bolden, Anthony Gould can create separation and create space and pick up chunk plays and and really use their athletic ability to to pick up yards after the catch as well. But they kind of steered away from that. You know, you kind of saw it in the first drive or two where TJ uh, hit both uh, Josiah and Gould for first downs. It may have been Silas. Uh, but after that, you started to see them try and push the ball downfield. I also thought the run game needed to get involved more. I mean, Dame had six yards per carry. Uh, and Oregon State only ran the ball two times in the fourth quarter. And it was working. Um but I think this coaching staff is going to, you know, adjust and get ready for a Colorado defense that is by far the worst Oregon State will have played in conference play. Yeah, you know, I agree. I, I think, you know, being there live and seeing kind of the way the offense was was going, you know, I we had this kind of complaint observation the first part of the season uh, where Oregon State was trying to go downfield, go, you know, looking for that home run ball. When they started to get the playmakers the ball in space and, and do those short and intermediate passes, we started to see DJ really look comfortable and, and have success this week for whatever reason. And it must've been something they were seeing, but they kept trying, like you said, to go deep. It, DJ held onto the ball way too long. Mm-hmm. Guys weren't getting open. Um, it, it just kind of spelled disaster. But like you said, they, they abandoned the run in an area that, you know, Oregon state wasn't down by that much. It wasn't yeah. like they had to, to go and score 21 points and, and to make some giant comeback. Um, Offensive line, I thought, blocked really well, um, you know, given given Arizona's um, front seven. But, um, yeah, I, I was perplexed a little bit um, by, you know, Dame, Damian Martinez carried touched the ball 14 times, averaged 6.2 yards a carry. What do you think? Should he be at, like, the 20, 25 per game? I, I think you have to get your best player involved in 20 to 25 touches per game whether that's all on the ground or whether they try and, you know, get them involved in like screen game more, which we saw a bunch of in fall camp and we really haven't seen a whole lot uh, during the regular season. But 
I I'm confused as to why Oregon State's best player is touching the ball 15 times a game in a game that they lose, and yeah. they were they were in the game. It's not like they were playing from behind the whole time and having to throw the ball. They could have ran the ball, and it, it was working too. And yeah. seeing them steer away from that was an, another one of the questionable decisions that the coaching staff made in last night's game or Saturday. Yeah, you know Charles Pettigian. Uh, Pettig- Pettig- I'm butchering your name. I'm super sorry. Coach Smith's game management issue aside, Dame's touching the ball four times less than in Pac-12 played last year during his starting stretch. Um, I, I think one issue with with Martinez, and, and we talked about this some, um, Peter Riley Osborne touched on this a bit in the trench report, is Damian isn't the best run blocking running back. So if you're going to go all passing, you're not going to you know have him in as much. But to just not have, to have him touching the ball. I mean, Oregon State was looking like they were behind by three touchdowns in that, you know, end of the third, top start of the fourth quarter when they weren't. And that's that was the part that I thought was was questionable. Um, defense. Let's, let's just touch on the defense some here. Decimated secondary. Yeah. Uh, you know, so Oregon State, when I when I was on the sidelines, we were Jake, you were texting me. You're like, yeah, let's let's hear. Let's. You know, is is Cooper? Well, I look over and Cooper's in a boot. Noble Thomas is sitting right next to him. Tyrese Ivy is out for the rest of the regular season, correct? Yes. Uh, Tyrese is out with a uh, elbow injury and will not play the rest of the twenty twenty three season. So, I mean, there's three guys right there um, in that secondary. So they had to rely on young guys. So um, we saw Jack Connay start we saw Jermod McCoy true freshman start we saw a lot of Andre Jordan another true freshman um, I just want to pop in another um, another comment here from Jermaine Gray about the offense it says feels like a load management but we need to feed the hot hand this is where we miss Jam Griffin yeah absolutely I mean this is where um, having that third back would it be a really nice piece to have um, okay so secondary is decimated um but we were back to seeing the missed tackles again. Yeah. Um, 15 missed tackles this week. Um, and really what I saw from Arizona was they were just doing hitting intermediate, you know, slant routes and they were, they were picking us picking Oregon state apart. Yeah. I mean, it, re- it really did seem that they were, you know, staying away from throwing the ball towards Jaden Robinson and they were picking on Jermaud and Jordan. Um, but the missed tackling is very concerning. You know, it's frustrating as well after, the two weeks prior to the bye week, tackling had plagued really Oregon State, especially in the run defense. And now this week in the pass defense, the secondary really struggled uh, tackling. Yeah, they are young, experienced. You have two, you have two true freshmen on the field, a walk-on on the field. But still, coming off of a bye week where I would imagine that the coaching staff spent a lot of time, you know, imprinting the right tackling technique and going through tackling drills with them, it is very concerning that it didn't get fixed because Colorado this next weekend, looking forward to Washington and Oregon, these teams have some really talented skill players and they aren't going to go down on the first contact. So Oregon State really needs to improve at this. Yeah, so just a little um, a little note. Um, I was texting with Peter and Raju, um, two members of our staff, and Raju tells me, that Oregon State is one and four under Coach Smith after bye weeks, the week following a bye week. Really? So that's an interesting stat because you would think that Oregon State would be better off of a bye week um, and have that time to rest. Um, so that to me says that the coaching staff kind of maybe needs to reevaluate what they're doing during bye week and, yeah. and kind of change some things up. One and four. So um, thank you, Raju, for that note. So what went well? From a, let's go back offensive standpoint. What did you like from this week's offensive performance? Yeah, I really liked how a third receiver stepped up. You know, Jimmy Valson's a guy that a lot of fans have been very high on. He's a six three kid from Texas. He's a guy that has always had the potential, but hasn't really shown it on the field. And I think Saturday was his breakout game. I think you're going to see him get more involved in the passing game. Being a bigger guy gives you know an element to the offense that Oregon state really hasn't had. I think Jimmy's Oregon state's most talented receiver. That's above six feet tall. And he's a younger guy too. He still got two years left after this year. And, uh, and I really do think he is going to 
step up and cement himself as Oregon State's third receiver. Yeah, they've been looking. Oregon State's been looking for that. I also want to get a, give a quick shout out to Josiah Irish. Um, couple huge plays. I think it, some of it is unsung because he's probably the best Beavers, the Beavers' best blocking wide receiver yeah, on the field, um, and that oftentimes gets overlooked. So Josiah, you do a great job blocking, but also in special teams. He was yeah, the guy that got down there as a gunner to get that ball knocked down and, and pin them back. Um, always heads up, and so I, I really felt that Josiah Irish just needed and Jimmy Valson deserved um, you know quick shout out there um offensively what do you want to see work or worked on i would like to see them go back to the passing game that you know really made dj more comfortable this colorado defense is terrible um just plain and simple and they've they they're giving up over 300 yards per game through the air alone and i think it's going to be an opportunity for dj to get back to where he was comfortable hopefully the coaching staff calls those plays where he gets the smaller speedier guys, you know, out in space and lets them hit to work. How about defensively? What went well in your opinion um, from Oregon State's defense? I thought the pass rush again, wasn't terrible. You know, um, Oregon State has already eclipsed their sack total from 2022. Um, they have 26 sacks now on the year. Chatfield has been great. John McCartan has been great. Uh, it's been really good to see. We did think the pass rush was going to be a strength of this team coming out of fall camp. Uh, and this next weekend is another opportunity. Colorado has the worst offensive line. And, and uh, Shadur Sanders gets sacked more than just about any other quarterback in the entire country. So we're going to see uh, Oregon State. Well, also should have had another sack, but they called uh, roughing yeah. the passer, which that was what we're going to get. I was a sack because the quarterback threw it. Okay, yeah, you're right. It it was close to being a sack. Yeah. Um, Okay, so what would you like? I mean, is it pass rush? Or, I mean, sorry, uh, tackling? Is it run defense? What do you want to see worked on from the defense heading heading into the next game? Yeah, I mean, tackling is still the biggest one. Colorado's got some guys between, you know, Jimmy Horn, Travis Hunter, Xavier Weaver, Dylan Edwards. They're explosive, juicy athletes. And if Oregon State – doesn't break down and tackle correctly, then it, it could be another game that they very well lose. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting because I think Oregon State now has had some really tough opponents, um, you know, going back to Utah and then um, UCLA and then Arizona. And Arizona's a, t- a team on the rise. Um, and so to come down and play a team now in Colorado who, like you said, has some good skill posi- position players, but I, I think Oregon State should be able to do some things. Let's go into we're, we're sticking with Arizona though. Play calling and clock management. Jake, yeah. I know you weren't there live, um, but the end of the second half or second quarter, sorry, was um, kind of a, a snowball effect of bad calls from the coaching staff. So yeah. you, you start off with Oregon State having two timeouts. They are down, what were they, on the 23-yard line? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> um, Jermaine Gray um, yeah. just said that the roughing the passer needs its own segment. Absolutely, because that, you know, before we jump into the, the play calling, I want to touch on that because I really felt that that was, you know, we can talk about the fake field goal and the lack of the use of the timeouts, but that fake, that call right there, I thought, I felt, thought it changed the whole dynamic of the game. Yeah. Because it, it basically... You know, you take all this momentum. Oregon State, I, was it? It was, um, was it Sione and Sione and Catan? Mm-hmm. Um, they go in. They force. It would have been a fourth down. I do fourth down. I believe. Yeah. Gives them a first down, fifteen yards, and they end up scoring a touchdown. It basically took Oregon State defense from being celebrating on top of the world to all the air out of their sails, and it, they did not recover. Um, it it was a horrible call. Um, yeah, we could go on and on about horrible calls because there was some spotting issues, but that one really did have an effect, I feel, on the game. But let's let's talk about that, um, the clock management, just because you have two timeouts. They don't call them. I mean, I, if you take those timeouts earlier, you might have to save yourself and have two plays. Instead, at 25 seconds, they don't get the play off till 18 seconds, and DJ, it's a long developing play that DJ holds on to the ball. Yeah. Forcing Oregon State then 
to go with their field goal. It was rough. And then they bring the field goal out. And then we saw the fake. Mm -hmm. I don't know which, what world, and I know coach Smith, I, I do have to give him props for actually owning up, taking responsibility and saying it was a mistake. But when you are on the road in a slugfest game, I don't know in what world you would, and, and your star running back is not running for 20 plus yards a carry. In what world do you think your kicker is going to run for 23 yards? It was, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, you do that play when you're the underdog and you're just trying to scrap something together, not when you are, you know, a better team. And uh, yeah, those three points in hindsight would have yeah. made a lot of difference and, and potentially could have changed, you know, who knows what the, the momentum and everything else. Anyway, what were your thoughts on that, Jake? Yeah. I mean, this was definitely a head scratcher of a decision. I mean, I really don't get on the road in a hostile environment. You're a top 10 team top 11 team it's a very close game and you need to take the points there i don't get especially arizona had seen that look before oregon state attempted it but it didn't uh, there was a timeout or flag and so they knew it could be very well coming yeah. and it was and to me that was very head scratching why you're trusting a kicker like not a knock on kickers at all but a 510 180 pound kicker to go and get 20 yards and score a touchdown. It's not like that play is going to get a first down and then call a timeout. No, like yeah. you need a touchdown there. When Atticus has been pretty much automatic within 45 yards all year, and they decided to run the ball with the kicker. To yeah. me, that's head scratching. <laughs> it's a terrible play call. Um, yeah. It makes no sense at all. You have to take – the points and Oregon State lost that game by three points. If Oregon State kicks that field goal, that game is in overtime. Who knows who wins that game? Just, yeah. uh, and, and you know, I mean, the coaching staff—they're super competitive. So you know, Coach Smith is questioning himself on that and and doing that. But to me, was, was that the worst call? I mean, Coach Smith has done some crazy gambles, and and do you think that was the worst one he's called? Yeah, I mean. There's two really that comes to mind. Uh, the fourth down against Washington State in 2019, where Oregon State turned the ball over and gave it back to a hot Washington State team around midfield. Excuse me. That kind of comes to mind. Um, but I, I, this to me is a head scratcher that very well could have cost them the game. Um, like I said, really, in 2019, though, Jake, Oregon State wasn't a good team. Yeah. You know? I mean, they, they, they were, were scrapping to get whatever they could. Yeah. Now you take a team that we they don't need to scrap necessarily. They yeah. they, you know, at one and every once in a while, you know, or if you're ahead, try something. But yeah, this one was this was I bad. Mean, this is a team that, if you look at it, was controlling their own destiny for the Pac-12 championship for an Pac-12 championship appearance. If they win that game and they beat one of Washington or, or Oregon, then they're in the Pac-12 championship. Um, and now they have to win out. And now they have to win out and rely on on a USC loss a whole lot more than what yeah. they did prior to tonight or prior to. And, and you go from potentially being a top and, and more than likely being a top ten team. Yes, to now to fifteen a, a to lower 20, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. It, so it it is very head scratching, and I do believe this is probably the biggest mistake Coach Smith has made in terms of in game coaching or adjustments during his six-year tenure at Oregon State. Yeah, and, and in the in the comments, Clint Moses says, you know, we all know Coach Smith um, likes to gamble on fourth downs and trick misdirection play calling. It's nothing new. I agree with you, but you have to be smart with it. Um, like I said, this isn't an Oregon State team that is winning three or four games a season looking to scrap by. This is a, t a team that is legitimately right in the hunt for the Pac-12 title. Um, and that gamble was costly yeah I, I i i do think jonathan has done some great things on fourth down he's made some great decisions but he's also made his fair share of head scratching decisions and this is right up there with the top of them for sure um uh, let's see here we have a few comments jim parkins says you take the big gambles when you're the inferior opponent you take educated gambles in strategic situations the fake field goal was not strategic absolutely yeah, i totally agree 100% truth. 
and that's, I think, the drum I've been beating kind of all season. Um, Rip City wants to know, how realistic is it that OSU even has a chance for the Pac-12 title if they won out? Um, if they I think won- if they win out and then USC loses one more game. Because we would have the tiebreaker over Oregon tiebreaker. and Utah. USC plays Washington this week. Or so- Arizona. Arizona would have the, I don't know. Arizona might have the tiebreaker over us. But and- Oregon State beat Arizona. No, we didn't. I mean, not sorry, Arizona. Oregon State beat Utah. We beat Utah. Arizona would beat us. It, it's really at this point, it's too far out. Too far There's out, yeah. So many. In two weeks, the picture will be a lot more clear as to what what needs to or what could happen. So all we know now is the Oregon State does not have any cushion. It has got yeah. to win, win out. Let me pop that down. Um, let's see. We're going to keep talking about this a little bit just because it was a big – yeah. Kendon Shirley, knowing we lose that game doesn't sting as much when you know there's a future next year. For some reason, this hurts more because of all the realignment nonsense. I mean, I totally agree. I, yeah. I think in years past, there's be, oh, like there's always next year for a Pac 12 championship. But this year, it's like, no, like this is it. This is our last chance. And Oregon State is six points away right now from being 8 0 undefeated. Clint Moses Probably. still stand on we should have beaten Wazoo and Zona. Yeah. I agree. And, I, and Jake, what was the stat you you texted yesterday? Yeah, uh, take out I the post, Utah game last year. Yeah, I posted this on Twitter yesterday. But if you take away the loss to Utah last year, all of Oregon State's losses in the last two years have been by three points, all four of them. It's crazy. Where I mean, they're right there. I mean, that's. It, but again, that just goes to show that you take the points when you're given the yeah. opportunity on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, the the inability to really close out these close games or yeah, Oregon State had Stanford. That was kind of a fluke play. Uh, Oregon State very well should have, could have lost that game. They've really struggled in one possession games. You, especially on the road. On the road. Yeah. So let's see the, the losses then the last five losses. I mean, Utah was on the road. Um, USC was at home, but. Should have won that game. If we should have won that game, but Washington on the road and Washington state. All the road. So again, it goes to show you just how you take those points when you have the opportunity. I, I get wanting touchdowns instead of field goals, but um, in close games, you know, you take you take what you can get. Um, again, then some of my other kind of questions about this game was just abandoning the run. Um, this is an Oregon State team that was able to move the ball, um, and and I know Coach Smith actually addressed a little bit of that that they didn't like some of their positions. They they didn't make up ground, you know, first down. So then they had to, to, uh, you know, pass it more, but, you know, I still, I still, you know, say that Fenwick and Martinez need to, need to, um, you know, have some more touches. And then just the the play call selection of going deep so much. um, That's not Oregon State's strength. They don't have receivers that can, you know, are going to get open and or get separation with that long of development um, taking that long, do the quick hits do the slants, and that's where we've seen the past couple of weeks. DJ really, really starting to to look comfortable. Um, okay, anything else to to add on all that, Jake? Or um, have we beat this enough? And can we like move on? Yep, time to move on. Okay, it's time to move on, and that means Beaver Nation. Time to move on. We're gonna just like all Colorado now, all the time for this week. Um, I do want to touch on injury update. Um, so as we mentioned at the top of the show. Um, Ryan Cooper is doubtful for this week. He isn't a boot. Coach Smith says day-to-day. I would not um, expect Cooper. But I do not expect Ryan Cooper Jr. Um, this week. Levengood, I don't expect him. I don't know. Smith hadn't got an update on him as of today at noon. Um, he was on crutches after the game on, uh, on and in street clothes. So um, I'm not expecting Jake Levengood this weekend. Tyrese Ivey, as Jake just mentioned, is out with an elbow. Noble Thomas and Isaac Hodgins were the other two main contributors out. What did Coach Smith have to say about those two? Yeah, um, they really thought that Hodgins could go um, towards the end of last week. They're expecting Hodgins to be full go for Saturday, and then they are also hopeful for Noble Thomas. They feel like he should be ready, um, and his return would really be huge, I think. Um, gives, gives Oregon State some more experience and. I think the difference from the secondary secondary with Thomas in the game 
this year has been really just night and day. Yeah, he's he's actually really stepped up. Yeah, he's it, doing a great job. Yeah. At first, when I saw Thomas, I just my head immediately thought Skyler because Skyler's out for the season. I text Jake the picture, and he's like, "What? Noble's not playing?" I was like, "Oh, you're yeah. right. That is Noble. That's not Skyler." Um, yeah. So both Thomases are out in the secondary. Um, but yeah, Isaac, we saw, and, and Noble doesn't have anything um, long term. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's we didn't see knee brace, boot, sling, nothing. Um, and, and same with Isaac; um, they were both just on the sideline. So. Um, hopefully those guys um, will be able to go. Alton Julian, I yeah. you know what was he? Uh, Jim Parkin asked, "Can Alton Julian play more and help the secondary?" I need to pull up the because now that you mentioned it, I don't know if I don't remember see seeing Julian. Yeah, play. I don't remember seeing um, Julian. They the, the coaching staff is trying to get him more involved as a linebacker, um, yeah. a middle linebacker, something they're trying out. You know, depth there isn't really the greatest right now they have some more depth at the safety spot um during six defensive back sets we also saw julian play against ucla a decent yeah. amount um i would expect to see more of him as the season really closes out especially if the the secondary depth issues still remain still struggle the rest of the year and, and it makes some sense too if you, you think about it because he's such a sure tackler yeah. But if he has lost any step at all with his speed, move him inside. So yeah. um, uh, Andy Baseball yeah. says, all those injuries in the secondary are going to hurt against the passing attack of Colorado. We'll, yeah. we'll talk, we're going to talk about Colorado. Um, but what do you do? You think Oregon State's front seven is going to help the secondary there? Um, uh, yeah, uh, I definitely do. You know, Colorado can't run the ball at all. Um, and really, they can't predict. They can't protect Shador Sanders much at all. I, I think guys like, you know, Chatfield, Lolohea, Rawls, they're all going to have huge games. Um, this is the weakest okay, offensive weakest line Oregon offensive State line. will have seen maybe even all season. You know, this Colorado offensive line is not a Pac-12 level offensive line, and there's going to be opportunities for the front seven to come up in a huge way on Saturday. Okay, so we are going to talk Colorado here in just a minute. But before we do, um, I think we should just run through the Pac-12 like we always do, Jake. Yep. The week that was. So, you know, I don't I think most of our listeners follow Pac-12. But if you don't and you need a recap of kind of what happened, um, of course, Oregon State fell to Arizona 27-24. Colorado lost to number 23 UCLA 28-16. Uh, UC, USC Cal. That was a, a yeah, fifty was to forty nine win for USC. When I left my friend's house to head over to the stadium, Cal was up like forty. I think it was forty three to twenty nine. Twenty seven or twenty nine. Yeah, twenty nine. So you know, I thought that was done, and then we saw the the score flash up. Yeah. So I know Cal went for a two yeah. point conversion, did not convert, and lost I've, that game. But again, USC's defense once again horrible. I, th but they, I think points on the bar board i think this is my third street third straight week on the podcast saying this but how on earth does alex grinch still have a job yeah, this, I mean, that, this defense is terrible and they still have athletes i know their defense is not They're, yeah but they have athletes they've um, got four and five stars yeah all that over. Are third, they have the number one recruit in the country from two years ago who's a third string defensive end like this team is stacked with talent just yeah terrible coaching Number five, Washington, 42, Stanford, 33. Now, that one was closer for a while than uh, – Yeah. Washington's really had a couple was. weeks in a row where it's been a little closer, I think, than anyone kind of – I think imagined. Washington's a beatable team for Oregon State, playing them at home. I think, I've heard that from a couple people. Yeah. I, I think they match up if the second year gets healthy, if Coop can get back, if Noble can get back to full speed. I feel like Oregon State really matches up well against them. Uh, Washington can't really run the ball effectively. In Oregon State, if they can get their secondary right, I think Oregon State has a chance to pull an upset then. Okay, and then the, the game that I think probably surprised a lot of people was Oregon State going in, or Oregon going to, to Salt Lake City, number eight Oregon taking on number 13 Utah and just smashing them 35-6. to six. Yeah, Utah still doesn't have an offense. Um, Oregon really – they really impressed me. Um, yeah. They came out really – from the first drive and just blew the brakes off of Utah. And 
it's always it, it's a tough place to play, and Oregon really just flat out dominated them. So, props to them. That was a, a great effort. So, so your power rankings at you you have Oregon one now. Pac-12 power rankings. Oregon one. Washington. I still two. have Washington one. Washington one. I still one. have Washington one. Oregon two, but it's a lot closer than it was last week. Okay. I, I feel like if those teams played at odds, then Oregon probably would have won. Okay. So the coming week, we have another full slate of Pac-12 games. So no buys this week. Um, this coming week, we have number 16, Oregon State at Colorado, where Oregon State is the 13-point favorite. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I, I, I really do. I don't think Colorado is very good. I think they have a explosive offense with some with some really high-powered skill players. But outside of that, this isn't a Pac-12 team. Um, I, I think Oregon State, I'm not going to give a prediction yet, but I feel yeah, I'm not like ready to do a prediction either, but spring. so UCLA, I feel is, you know, I mean, good defense and Colorado was able to put 16 up. Mm -hmm. Does Oregon State hold them to under 16? No, I don't think so. Okay. I, 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 I think playing on the road, Oregon State's defense isn't the same as at home. I think okay. if it's at home, then quite possibly, but on the road, playing I think the best quarterback they've played all year in Sanders um I think Colorado is able to score more than 16 points okay um ASU at number 18 Utah Utah's 11 point favorite does Utah get back on track I think they do I think this is a game that could be close I mean Arizona State's really shown some life over the past few weeks they beat Washington State um which I don't think anyone really expected that this last week um they found a pretty stud running back in Scatbo, and I think they could play Utah close, but I do see the Utes prevailing due to their home field advantage. Cal is at Oregon. Is that even going to be – Oregon's I, a 24-point favorite. Do you think it's closer than that? I think Oregon covers. I think Cal has found their quarterback in Fernando Mendoza, but I think Oregon is a much more talented team. Uh, they're playing at home as well. They've got a lot going for them. Um, I'm choosing Oregon to cover that game. Uh, number five, Washington at number 24, USC. Washington is a three and a half point favorite. You think, uh, I think Washington, Washington will win by more, but. So do I. Yeah. Again, I, the, if it's, USC it's giving the USC, stop. yeah. USC can't stop a nosebleed. How are they going to stop Michael Penix, Jalen Pohl, Groma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, Jack Westover, all these stud skill players. I think SC will score. I think Washington puts up at least 45, 50 points. I I just don't see SC slowing them down. And then Stanford at Washington State. And Washington State is a 13-point favorite. Does Washington State get on track this weekend? They've had a, a couple weeks here of, of really struggling mightily against uh, Arizona and Arizona State. I mean, Stanford to me is kind of like – is really like an Arizona State team. They're kind of yeah. confusing, you know. One week they're scoring they're scoring 40, 45 points against Colorado. Next week, seven against the Bruins. Then they come out and play Washington really close. Um, and, and Washington State is not the same football team they were in September. Yeah. Not really sure what went on there if they got too comfortable. But this is a team that has dropped four in a row now, and including one to what many thought was the worst team in the conference. And I, I think Stanford covers and Washington State wins. Okay, there you have it. That is the slate of Pac-12 games this this week um, or this coming weekend. All games are on Saturday. There's no Friday night games this week, so um, that will be a, a fun. You know, got to keep up on that Washington, Stanford, Oregon, as those are Oregon State's next uh, next three opponents. We're going to take a quick break in a, in just a second, but uh, just for the podcast side of things, we'll be back for the live portion. Just a reminder, though, now is a perfect time to join BeaverBlitz.com. We are part of the twenty four seven network. And uh, your source for all things Oregon State football, basketball, baseball. Jake, we'll talk. We didn't put it on the rundown, but I know you were at the exhibition basketball mm -hmm. game yesterday. Uh, the Lodge is the place. Uh, gosh, we had a, a live game thread on Saturday night with over about, or I think we hit 12,000 page views on that one. So um, it is an active, very active message board and uh, the place to be for all the insight. Um, I just posted my thoughts on alignment and what was kind of on the docket for Oregon and or, or Oregon State and Washington State. So definitely jump in the lodge and get your membership to Beaver Blitz. Um, and we'll be back in just a minute um, to start breaking down Colorado.
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, welcome back to the damn podcast. Now it's time to talk some Colorado. We have talked Pac-12, we have talked Arizona loss, and now we need to break down Colorado. And I wanna, I wanna dig in a little bit. One of the comments we had um, um, recently was they wanted to hear more about our the Oregon State's opponents. So we're gonna talk a little bit more, go a little in depth here. It is early in the week, so this is where Jake and I are just starting to do our breakdown of the opponent at hand. But let's let's talk some Colorado. Starting off, what concerns you about about going to Boulder to play uh, the Buffs? I mean, Colorado has been one of the more hostile environments in conference play this year. Um, they have the highest percentage of uh, like capacity uh, filled per game this year. I think they're at like about 110 um, percent. So it, it's going to be a packed game. It's, it's going to be a colder game. It's something Oregon State can't really prepare for weather-wise unless they they practice at night, which not sure if that's a possibility, but it's going to be in the, you know, 20s and 30s, a possibility of snow, most likely not, but there is a chance and it's going to be a tough place to play. And then turning more on the game itself, I think Colorado skilled players are some of the best in the Pac-12. Um, Shadur Sanders is a great quarterback. He's thrown for 23. 22 touchdowns, I think, and only three interceptions. It's a great touchdown interception ratio. He is a, a younger guy. He's a sophomore, junior, um, and he's really surrounded by great skill players with Travis Hunter, who's one of the the more explosive players in college sports. Xavier Weaver, who's a transfer, um, Jimmy Horn, another transfer, and then a pair of uh, newcomers at the running back spot with uh, – Alton McCaskill transferred from Houston and true freshman Dylan Edwards, who really exploded uh, nationally with the four touchdown game against TCU in the season opener. And these guys are juicy. They're explosive. They're going to cause issues, particularly with the Oregon State secondary. And my biggest key to this matchup is slowing down those skill guys. So I, I agree with you, but okay. So another thing that I think it gets overlooked, but Boulder's at, over 5,000 feet above sea level. So yeah. the altitude is no joke there either. Um, so I think that's another another piece there that you have to kind of watch. A couple things though. So I, I did. I went into PFF to look at kind of what Shadur Sanders likes to do. He likes to throw short and intermediate passes between the hashes. So I think Oregon State needs to be ready, you know, for more of those slants. Um, I mean, Arizona ran them all night. So this is what he likes to throw. He's also the team's leading rusher. So this is a team though that doesn't run a whole lot. No. Shadur is their leading rusher. He's uh, has 321 yards, but Colorado as a team has only rushed for 629 yards. Yeah. I think a lot of that's due to their poor offensive line. Yeah. Um, and Sanders has those 321 rush yards. A lot of, he's also lost a lot of yards. He has lost like, yeah. Cause this is a team that they give up. I want to say six or seven sacks a game. I think that's worse in the country. Um, and which is another, factor to why those run numbers are so bad. You know, and then, and then looking at some of their, you know, I, Travis Hunter obviously is a great talent, plays wide receiver and corner. I would say he's probably a better corner than wide yeah. receiver, but he's just explosive on both sides. Yeah. Um, Xavier Weaver is their number one receiver. Um, he comes in with 55 catches um, after or from 77 targets. He has 717 yards on the season and four touchdowns. Jimmy Horn is next, 470 yards and five touchdowns. So those are the, kind of the, your two receivers to watch. Um, like I said, Travis Hunter, you've met, n- named a couple other guys. Um, but Travis Hunter, you know, he comes in as their top defensive player. He's corner. And then Shiloh Sanders is their number two guy, and he's a safety. So um, where you're saying that their offense is going to give our secondary fits, 
their strength of their team is going to be their, their secondary. Is this a game where Oregon State should be able to run the ball? I think so. This is an offense that – or, excuse me, a Colorado defense that gives up just about 475 yards per game, which is one of the worst numbers in the Pac-12. 365 of those are on the ground is what they're averaging. Yeah, and so 310 of that's through the air. So while on paper the strength of this defense is their secondary, Oregon State's going to have a ton of opportunities. They are still relatively – they're not really a great defense at all. I think Dame is going to get 100 yards easy. I think Oregon State's going to come out and run the ball really – I don't see Colorado slowing Martinez or Fenwick for that matter down. I think both those backs are going to get at least 10 carries. And I think that should be a goal of the coaches going in is to get Dame 20 carries, Deshaun Fenwick 10, because that success in the run game is going to open up the play action passing game. Colorado is going to have to stack the box. I'll just really make things easier for, you know, DJ or Childs if Childs is in the game. You've talked about how poor the Colorado offensive line is. Which should should you know be well stack up well for Oregon State's defensive front, but how is Colorado's defensive line? Again, very weak, um, filled with transfers. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't think they have one guy who's seen significant playing time on that defensive line that was there a season ago. Relatively new, newer guys to this level of competition. There's some freshmen. There's some guys that came from Jackson State, where the competition isn't the same. Yeah, they're talented kids, but they haven't played against. Damian Martinez, and I, I don't think Colorado has faced a running back. Out, an argument could be made for for Bucky Irving, but outside of him, I don't think they've faced a running back as talented as Damian. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. So, um, you know, I, I keys to the game. One of the ones I put on is is that OSU needs to get pressure on Sanders. Yes, pressure. Is, what what Colorado likes likes to do is they like those short crossers underneath. Yeah. I, I think Colorado's offensive coordinator, Sean, Sean Lewis, is a great coach. He had success at Kent State where not a lot of head coaches do. He left there, came to Colorado as an offensive coordinator. And his scheme, they like to hit guys like Jimmy Horn, especially on those crossers, the 6-10 yard routes across the middle of the field. And that's where I think Oregon State, if they pressure Sanders and don't let him just sit in the pocket and wait – wait until you know the guy comes open across i think if they can take that away then oregon state's gonna have a ton of success on defense yeah i mean and if they're, they're obviously not a great great running team it makes them very one-dimensional yeah um that this should pro- give Trent Bray some you yeah. know some advantage there yeah i i think this is probably the most one-dimensional team oregon state will play all season they really cannot run the football and oregon state does still have a, a really good run defense statistically while they have struggled against Cal and the Bruins. They really have dominated most of their other games. You think this is a game that Oregon state can keep uh, the buffs uh, under 75 yards rushing? Yes, I, I, I definitely do. Um, they're averaging less than, yeah, they are averaging less than a hundred. Are they probably averaging what? 60, 80, 60, okay. 60 to 80. I think this is, and again, they haven't really played any great run defenses. They played UCLA, so they have a great one. Oregon solid, and, and then Oregon State. So I think there's they haven't really faced a ton of ton a ton of tough tough defenses, and I think Oregon State has the advantage there. Okay, sack. How, how many times does Shadour Sanders get sacked this week? I I, I think at least five. Um, okay, Oregon State right now is averaging just above three sacks a game, three and a half. They're on pace to hit, I want to say, just they're on pace to hit just about 40, um, which would be their first time getting that number in a very long time. Uh, And I think they're going to get a lot closer to that number thanks to really really bad Colorado offensive line that is going to allow Chatfield, Rawls, McCartan to spend all day just harassing the Colorado QB. So this, you know, Colorado secondary is probably the strength of their defense. They have 10 interceptions on the year, just the secondary. Do you think DJ gets intercepted on uh, Saturday? I think he will make one throw. I, I think this Colorado defense is one that their secondary tends to make big plays, but give up a ton of big plays. 
and this is what I think is going to happen. I, I think Travis Hunter is too talented, um, or even Shiloh Sanders to not have a bigger a big play come up. I think playing on the road in a hostile environment, you can expect a quarterback to make one mistake, and I think it is very well possible. However, I do think DJ is going to he might have one of his best best statistical performances all year against a really uh, not great Colorado secondary. It's funny because there's been a big discussion in the lodge. I finally had to shut it down um, because it kind of went off the rails, but kind of DJ bashing and and asking if if Oregon State should be playing Ben, Cole Branson. Yeah, to me that was – if you look at Oregon State's offense last year throwing the ball – I mean, if you look at Oregon State in the Civil War last year, Oregon State was 7 for 16 passing the ball with two interceptions. Now, DJ's worst performance all year – probably against Washington State where he threw for over 200 yards. I think he threw for two touchdowns or he threw for one and ran for one and threw just one interception. So And his PFF rating is still eighth in the country. Yeah, he's still <laughs> I, I don't I feel like whether the expectations were too high coming in. Yeah. Yeah. His, you know, his background, the guy he was touted to be, but he has yeah. been a fantastic quarterback. Uh, yeah, he hasn't been a Michael Penix or a Bo Nix, but he has been very serviceable. And Well, both those guys, though, to be fair, have been in the system for multiple years. Yeah, and that too. And yeah. I would also argue that they both have more talent at wide receiver. They do, and I, I don't I don't really think that's an argument. Yeah, and, and no, and I'm not trying to disrespect Oregon yeah. State's wide receivers, but um, – They don't have a Troy Franklin, a 6'3 no. guy. They don't have a Jalen Polk or a Roma Dunze. Uh, yes, Silas and Anthony are great, but – Physically, they are limited. They don't, they can't go get those jump balls like guys like Franklin and Jalen Polk can. Yeah. So, no, I, I, I just thought it was an interesting argument because I'm sure, I mean, if one person talks about it on the lodge, I'm sure there's other Beaver fans out there who are, are wondering. But I, I do think, I think expectations might be too crazy high for him. Um, but I do, I think when you look at his whole body of work and where he sits, even in the nation um, for what he's doing, it's, pretty remarkable um, and has made Oregon state a better team. Okay. Should, you ready? Are you done with color? Oh, my other key to the game is to run the ball. Yep. Flat out I, run the ball, which we kind of talked Oregon, about. One at 30 carries. Yep. I think Oregon state needs to come out in their first drive and run the ball, establish dominant dominance uh, and get Fenwick and named their 30 touches. There you go. That's, that's Jake and my keys to the game. We gave you some guys to watch um, what they like to do. So um it's going to be a fun game. Seven o'clock kick um, from Boulder on ESPN, I believe. Yep. It's ESPN. ESPN. Um, kickoff for Stanford was also announced 2 30 um, on the 11th. 11th yep. yes. November 11th. Veterans Saturday, the 11th. So Veterans Day will be um, a 2 30 kick on Pac 12 Network. Do you want to answer some questions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Oh, here's a, here's, here's a comment in the chat here. I'll just pop it up because we were just talking about DJ. Jim Parkin, thank you for your comments today. DJU, one of the most physically talented quarterbacks to ever come to OSU. He has eight games at Oregon State under his belt. Yep. He probably only has five more, two left. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's a talent. Yeah. So here's a comment from Victor Foster. Please stop leaving points on the field, yeah. especially in close games. Amen. 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 Okay. We're going to jump in the lodge here. Let me pull this up and um, got some questions for you, Jake, from. The, the members of beaverblitz.com. Um, let's start with Beaver Love. Was surprised by the many starters who do not play at Arizona, Stattered, status of injured players, and the duration. Kind of touched on this earlier. Um, we don't, and, and Smith is really close, close lip about most mm-hmm. of the injuries. Um, let's just go uh, one more time for you guys. Levin good. Unknown doubtful. right now, but doubtful. Um, Cooper, doubtful. He did have a boot on his foot. Right foot. I think it's right yeah, foot. Yeah, I'm trying to think of that right off the top of my head, but I don't know. Uh, he was not wearing one today. I okay. did see him uh, walking through the practice facility. He was not wearing a boot, but still being in a boot a week before a game would imagine he's probably going to be held out. That screams high ankle sprain to me. Yeah. Same thing that Jock, uh, Jack – um, Jack Con I had. Yeah, yeah. So um, he's back. Um, okay, so Levengood we did. Cooper. Um, Tyrese Ivey is out. Yep. Noble Thomas is questionable. 
We haven't seen Josiah Johnson in a few games either. Uh, Coach Smith didn't touch on him. Um, not sure what's really going on there. To try and find out. Um, Tyrese Ivy is out season. Thomas. Elbow. And then uh, Noble Thomas is out for undisclosed. We don't know. He did not have anything obvious, So, um, but he was uh, sitting yeah. in, in street clothes. Um, I also then, would expect, usually, there's always a surprise starter or rotational player that isn't available that we that no one really knows about. So I would expect to keep that there will probably be one or two guys that we haven't touched on that will be unavailable. Yes. And, and it just happened. I mean, this is what happens when they don't let media watch practice. And so um, we aren't there to see what's uh, who's, you know, maybe limited or, or heading into the, but Isaac Hodgins they're hoping for. And was Noble Thomas the other one? Yeah. I, I would expect, I'm not as certain for Noble as I am Hodgins, but I would okay. expect to see him available. Okay. So I think those are kind of the, the guys we know, um, there's probably a couple others, but those are the, the big ones. Um, Matt Giafoni, why does OSU go through fits when they refuse to run the ball? I don't know, and I don't know why yeah. offensive coordinators – and this isn't just a Lindgren thing. This goes back to Langsdorf, um, where they kind of get like in this mode that they think they're just going to go deep ball and stop running. Um, how is the damnation mission to $1 million going? Last I checked, it was right about 500000 so um, Pretty right solid. about halfway there. So – um, keep, keep helping out the cause that is going, um, we'll go toward NIL dollars for, uh, football players, I believe just to, it's helping to pad it depending on where Oregon state ends up. If they need, they need some cash. Um, Billy Beaver or Beaver Billy, what is the total number of starters we lose to graduation next year? It seems like a lot could be a down year, depending on the quality of opponents. If my calculations are correct. The we offense see a lot. The offensive line, line, yeah, in, in hole. You're going to lose Bloomfield, Levengood for sure. Joshua Gray, I would imagine. He has one year left, but I would imagine he will probably leave. Tali Fuaga, same boat, would expect him to leave. Receivers, uh, Josiah Irish is gone. Ray Yagi is gone. Would also – Anthony Gould is a potential draft casualty or just being at Oregon State for yeah. a, a COVID casualty in a way. Deshaun Fenwick is gone on the offensive side of the ball. And then most likely DJ Uyunglele as well would imagine he um, takes his talents to the NFL. And then on the defensive side of the ball, the secondary gets hit kind of hard. Jaden Robinson, Katano Adapu, and Ryan Cooper, they're all gone. Linebacker core, it's Calvin Hart, Andrew Chatfield, and John McCartan. And then defensive line, you lose really three of your four impact players with uh, James Rawls, Joe Golden, and Hodgins, all three of those guys are gone. And Josh Green, you're, you're starting you're punter, punter as well. So you do lose yeah. more than Oregon State's lost in past years, but Oregon State has been recruiting well, and I can, I would very well bet they're going to hit, hit the transfer portal pretty hard as well. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's something to think about too. Um, going into this, if Oregon State, for example, this was something I was thinking about when I was, was down in Arizona – when I was on one of my little walks was, okay, so recruiting, prep recruiting, let's say, you know, the top targets are wanting to go someplace where they know there's a power conference home. Oregon State should be able to hit that transfer portal super hard, especially if Oregon State and Washington State are able to have an auto qualifying bid to the CFP. Yeah. I mean, um, the transfer portal is going to become yeah. the, uh, the, the way to go there and they should be able to, to grab some, Pretty good players. Um, okay, so a lot of a lot of players leaving. Again, we'll you know this is something Jake and I dive into after the season. This is going to be kind of the after the bowl game kind of thing where we talk about not only the guys coming in in the class of twenty twenty four, but really kind of deep dive looking at the roster and, and what's what's happening. Um, Go Beavs two thousand. What are the chances Martinez transfers? And I don't know. Where that, whether that means because they're not in a power five, I don't really kind of know the nuance to that question. I don't foresee him transferring. But. Yeah, there's always a possibility, but I wouldn't expect it. Um, we'll kind of start to hear transfer news start to pick up uh, over the next month or so, I guess, by yeah, now. Next month. Um, let's see. 
Mr. G. Gray, are we better team as a two to one run to pass ratio? Why or why not? This is a tough question because if you look at last year's offense, it was two to one. Yeah, they didn't struggle. They struggled offensively, but they won games. Whereas this year they're winning games, but they're also losing games that they shouldn't necessarily be winning. Um, I think two to one is a little excessive. I think I think Oregon State needs to find their sweet spot, whether that's like split 50-50 or 60-40 run pass. I do think the running backs need to get a lot more involved, um, especially against Washington and Oregon. Yeah, I, my my feeling is I don't know necessarily think a two-to-one run-to-pass ratio. Um, you know, last year, like Jake said, they did run more, but that was out of necessity, and mm-hmm. I felt Oregon State became too one-dimensional. Very well. Um, <laughs> I – I, I love that, you know, if they could be in like the 30 to 35 rushes a game, I think that's kind of um, a good spot. And then depending on, you know, where you are, I mean, obviously if you're down by, you know, 14 or so, you, you have to throw more. But like I said, against Arizona, they weren't down by that much and they were trying to go deep the whole time. So, um, and I do think as we saw that last drive, that two-minute drill, that was, that was you know, Oregon State does a lot better when they're doing some quick, quick hits and, moving the ball. So um, my, my suggest, I, I like that 30 to 35. I think that's kind of a sweet spot for, for runs um, here for the Beavers says, I think the fake field goal is a distraction from bigger issue since it was only one play. One of the mantras last year was urgency. Does it seem like play calling needs more urgency? For example, see the end of the fourth quarter at, at U of A and WSU. We had a high powered offense. I do think with DJ, he is more comfortable in those high-powered, you know, no t- no huddle, tempo, tempo, tempo. But, again, in terms of Oregon State, that's not necessarily their strength. Um, I think I would like to see them try and incorporate the no huddle tempo more when it's needed and earlier rather than, you know, yeah, run the ball, but to a certain extent. That's just kind of my two cents on that. Um. RDU Beaver says this is he said we ran the ball two times, two freaking times in the fourth quarter. My question is more of a request. Can you please read that stat line to Lindgren and ask, what the hell, man? Thank you. He goes, in all seriousness, no. Th- seriousness, though, I think Lindgren has been a great OC. For the most part, we've been spoiled by some pretty solid offenses, and it's hard to complain much after the decade we suffered in the 2010s. However, sometimes organizations have success, but after a while, grow growth starts to stagnate. So, I mean, do you think conversation or do you think Lindgren needs to take a look at kind of things or are you you happy with where things are right now, Jake? I feel like there's room for improvement on the road. I feel like at home, again, I don't know whether that's due to, you know, the energy that's already provided, but on the road, this offense hasn't really looked the same. Um, And I do feel like there's room for improvement there. Um, overall, I'm happy. I feel like this offense, its they're still putting up 38 points a game, the most in a very long time. I feel like that's kind of overlooked by a lot of people. But there is still room for improvement that if things go – if they improve a little things in both of those two losses, Oregon State's 8-0 right now. So Iversoth, has Coach Smith tried anything different in terms of scheduling and the travel and agenda to address this team's performance on the road? This has been a consistent issue since he's been coaching here. Players are low energy to start the game and have less focus, make really uncharacteristic mistakes. Yeah. Um, not any changes that I'm aware of. Yeah. You know, there has been struggles on the road. Um, Oregon State at home in the last three seasons is 15-1. and one. Overall, now they're going to do some quick math. They're 23-11, and 11, so 15-1. and one. They're – they're a 500 team. Yeah. They're a 500 team away from Reeser um, over the last two seasons or three seasons now. Um, so that is reason for concern. There is something that needs to be changed. I'm not sure what or if the coaching staff is going to do something, but that is um, at this point. I feel like it's not just a fluke. I feel like it's it's a very valid, um, very just very valid that. Oh, this team isn't the same. This team isn't the same on the road 
as how, how do you do that though? I mean, like, the fans can bring so much into play yeah. and, and fans meaning either the positive of, of having fans out there or some of the, the schools that Oregon State travels to, it's a pretty dead environment. So how does a team generate their own, their own hype? Yeah. I mean, it's really tough to create your own energy, you know, obviously playing in Reese or having the Beaver Dam, you know, it makes it a lot easier. It's really loud and live two hours before kickoff and the guys feed off that. Yeah. Whereas at home or excuse me, whereas on the road, a lot of these stadiums they're playing at is quiet. It's not loud. It's, it's not raucous at all. It's quiet. I think this weekend it's going to be loud and energy. And I think they're going to be able to create some more energy. Um, but really, I do think it hurts Oregon state that the opposing fan bases really haven't been up to par with what they're used to here in Corvallis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's going to be another, a big test this weekend on the road at Colorado Oregon state faces uh, Deion Sanders and the, the hype train that was, is, was Colorado. Um, Shadour Sanders, Shiloh's my son loves Shadour Sanders, by the way. I, he, he was wishing we were all going. I'm not a huge fan. Yeah. You know, it is what it is, but he, but he loves his beef. So he actually, his birthday is the weekend of Stanford and he would like to go to that game. So we have to figure that one out, but um, Oregon state will be in Boulder this weekend uh, to take on the Colorado Buffaloes and look to get back to their winning ways before heading home for two games before, and then hitting the road for civil war. Make sure you're following Jake Hedberg. He is at Hedberg Jake. I am at Angie Machado one and make sure you are following us on beaverblitz.com for all the latest. We will be back next week for another episode of the damn podcast. Mm-hmm.